Well, hey, welcome to week three in our series, Be Like Me. We've been studying the Gospels, learning what it is to follow Jesus, and we've been learning that when we follow Jesus, we become like Jesus. It transforms us, and then the more we become like Jesus, the more we recruit other people to follow us in being like Jesus. You know, it's so interesting how children naturally model whatever they're seeing. Sometimes parents get embarrassed because kids maybe repeat something that they've heard at home. When you see kids watching TV, they'll often mimic what they're seeing on TV. Well, I got to experience this this last week. I was actually watching a World War II documentary, and while I was watching it, because I haven't been getting to the gym as much with COVID, I was standing there doing some one-legged squats like this, just trying to get a little bit of exercise. Well, my daughters came in and I look over and before I know it, they're in there copying me while I'm exercising. It's so funny as parents, how our kids copy us in the good things, in the silly things, and sometimes in the bad things too. You know, a few months ago, I was having a day where I'd been working really hard. I was really stressed out and I lost my temper a little bit. Now, when I did, it was with my daughter, Zoe. And let me introduce you, if you haven't met Zoe, this is Zoe and this is her stuffed animal. It's called a worry eater, as in W-O-R-R-Y, like if you have a worry. And what this is, is if you're worried about something, you write it down, you unzip the mouth and you tuck it in there and then the worry eater eats your worry. Well, this is a tool that Zoe has for dealing with her fears and worries. And after I lost my temper and I was a little bit short, I apologized to Zoe. I said, Zoe, I'm sorry. I'm just, I'm a little stressed out. Uh, Daddy shouldn't lose his temper like that. I need Jesus to forgive me. Will you forgive me as well? And it was the cutest thing. Because then Zoe said, yeah, Daddy, of course I forgive you. Daddy, I think you need a worry eater too. It was such a good point. I could use a worry eater. And I want to talk with you today about your worries, specifically the worries around your wounds. We all have wounds in life, especially in our relationships. Now, some of our wounds are kind of self-inflicted. We make a mistake or we do something wrong and we've got some consequences, but live long enough and you'll be wounded at times by others, especially by the people you love and by people you trust. And I wanna talk with you today about following Jesus and even experiencing God in your wounds. Here's the question that we're asking together today. When you're wounded by failure, or maybe even by broken trust, someone who you counted on, someone who you depended on, someone who you trusted, they broke that trust. Well, how can you experience God's healing in those wounds? Uh, Maybe you've been disillusioned by someone who said one thing and did another. Uh, Sometimes, sadly, this happens even in church. I call it church wounds or ministry wounds, where you trust someone or you really knit your heart together with someone and then it feels like they betray you or they wrong you. Well, God's going to show us today from his word how to deal with this emotion of our own failures and the deep hurt inflicted on us by the failures of others. As always, we look to the word of God to answer this question of God, how do I handle these wounds? 
And we're going to return where we've been studying in the Gospel of Mark. Now, so far in the Gospel of Mark, we've been in chapter 1, where Jesus recruited those very first disciples, Peter and then John. Now, I want to skip now in the Gospel of Mark to what's known as the Last Supper. Here's a famous painting of the Last Supper. And of course, these aren't exactly the clothes or even the kind of table that Jesus and the disciples would have been at. But I thought we'd use this painting as a visual tool to remind ourselves that these 12 disciples were real people. Jesus had a real meal with them. And of course, it's at that meal that he washed the disciples' feet. And he said, here's the heart of God. And he knelt down and with the mud dripping down his forearms, he washed their feet. And we've learned about Peter and John. Two of these disciples who we know from the gospel accounts, they were seated right near Jesus. And two of these disciples who were in Jesus' inner circle. Of course, almost anyone has heard of Judas before. Judas is one of the 12, and he's the one who is going to sell Jesus out to his enemies. In fact, it's because of what Judas does that Jesus will be crucified on the cross. Now, it's easy for us to think of Judas as some kind of villain who was, you know, inherently bad from the beginning. But it's important as we go through this story to remember that for Peter, for James, for John, for all the other disciples, he was just like them. They had no idea that Judas was going to betray Jesus. And so at this final meal, one of these disciples is going to betray Jesus. Another one, Peter, will soon deny Jesus and say, I never even knew him. All of the disciples will abandon Jesus and flee. Now, again, we're talking about this emotion of being wounded by people you trusted, letting you down or running away or even betraying you. We're going to look at that wound from Peter's perspective as well as from Jesus' perspective. And let's pick up in Mark 14, verse 46. This is right after Judas has betrayed Jesus uh, with a kiss. That was a greeting in their culture. And Judas said uh, to the army that was with him, this will be the sign of who to arrest. The men seized Jesus and they arrested him. Then everyone deserted him and fled. Now I want to skip forward to Peter's response because after all the disciples desert Jesus and they, they run, they scatter, Peter kind of follows at a distance. And maybe you've heard this story before where Jesus is being tried and Peter's out in this outdoor courtyard around a fire. And there's this young servant girl who says, you were with Jesus, weren't you? And Peter starts to swear and curse and say, no, no, I never knew the guy. Well, Jesus had warned Peter that this would happen. And listen to this. Then Peter remembered the words Jesus had spoken to him before the rooster crows twice. You will disown me three times. And Peter broke down and he starts weeping. Now, I just want you to really put yourself in Peter's position. One of his closest friends, he has shared meals. He's traveled with Judas for the last three years. Judas is one of his guys and Judas just sold out his master. Now his Lord, who he believes is the Messiah and God, is arrested and isn't doing any miracles to set himself free. Peter has just denied Jesus and he's embarrassed and he's ashamed by his own mistakes. He's just living under this shame and this kind of 
vortex kaleidoscope of emotion of all the wounds of his own failures the wounds of the failures of the people around him even the wound that the way he thought things would work out with Jesus well doesn't work out like he thought as you continue to read the gospels and I'd encourage you in your life application study bible you can go much deeper into these passages but we see that after Jesus dies and then rises again he appears to the disciples. And I want to pick up in the story. At a time when Jesus has appeared to Peter, but Peter isn't walking by faith anymore. It's found in the Gospel of John, chapter 21. And it says this, Peter talks to the other disciples. He says, I'm going out to fish. In other words, Peter, it's now been days since the crucifixion and he knows Jesus has been raised from the dead. But he's still in this vortex of emotions. He's wounded by his mistakes and by Judas's mistakes. He's devastated. Apparently he's hungry too. He says, I'm going to go fish. And the other disciples say, hey, you know, we'll go with you. And this is so interesting because the gospel of Mark started with Peter and these guys fishing. And Jesus came and said, I've got a better way of life for you. Well, what are they doing? They're returning to their old way of life as if those three years with Jesus had never even happened. So they went out, they got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Maybe you've been there where you've walked with Jesus and you got hurt and you kind of scattered away and where you used to have fulfillment in life, you go back to those old things and it's just like, you know, there's no fulfillment without Jesus, but I don't really know how to get it back. I don't know how to recover from these wounds. Well, I love the next part of the story because Jesus comes to the seashore here and he stands there, but the disciples, they're out in the boat fishing. They see the silhouette of a guy on the seashore. They don't even realize that it's Jesus. And he calls out to them and he says, friends, I love it that that's the word he chose. I mean, think about this for Jesus when he was grieving there in the garden of Gethsemane and he's saying to the disciples, please pray with me, they fell asleep. Then when he gets arrested, they scatter and they run. He, he could say, people who let me down, people who I'm never gonna forgive, people who you could never make up for what you did to me, you abandoned me in my darkest hour and instead he calls them friends. I have to believe that there's someone watching this right now and God brought you into this moment because you need to know that Jesus still calls you friend. There's no number of failures. There's no uh, catastrophic size of failure that will stop Jesus from ever loving you. He always wants to be your friend. And Jesus calls out to them, friends, don't you have any fish? Of course, he knows the answer and they all say no. And then Jesus says more or less, you know, cast your net on the other side of the boat and when they do that the nets just fill up with fish and in that moment they realize oh my goodness it's Jesus well Peter in classic Peter fashion he just jumps right out of the boat and he starts swimming and wading his way to Jesus he gets up there and I love it Jesus then feeds them a fish breakfast their last meal ended with their failure he now gives them another meal which was in that culture a, a real time of communion and connection. And then Jesus is going to zoom right in on Peter, one of his closest disciples. Peter who denied Jesus three times. And now Jesus is going to ask him this question, Simon Peter, 
Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now, just like Peter denied Jesus three times, Jesus is now going to ask this three times. And here's how Peter answers. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus says, then feed my lambs. Well, this continues, and there's a very deep study here in your Life Application Study Bible about these different Greek verbs for love. But I want to focus on Peter's wounds and his restoration. We're told in verse 17 that the third time that Jesus asks him, Simon, son of John, do you actually still love me? Peter responds, and he's hurt, and he says this, Lord, you know all things. I mean, you're God, you know my thoughts, and you know that I actually love you. And then Jesus responds, Peter, if you love me, feed my sheep. In other words, Peter, I see that you've got wounds. I'm patient with you. I'm here to restore you. If you actually love me, Peter, get back to work making disciples like I've called you to do. I've appointed you for a purpose to bring people to me. Now here's our big idea today. Only Jesus can heal our deepest wounds. And only Jesus can restore us. We saw at the beginning of the Gospel of Mark that that moment where Jesus says to Peter, drop your nets and follow me, it was a life-changing moment for Peter. Now, we just witnessed the second life-changing moment for Peter. Because if Jesus had not restored Peter, Peter was reverting back to his old way of life. And now Jesus comes, he says, hey, don't, don't revert to your old way of life. Yes, you've made some mistakes, but I want to restore you. I want to heal you. And God says the same to you today. Whether you're reaching out to God for the first time, or maybe you've been a believer for years, but you know there's some areas of your life where you've kind of scattered. And Jesus is saying to you, I want to heal you. I want to heal your deepest wounds. I want to restore you, but you've got to make a choice. Are you going to return to me? Are you going to be part of my flock again? Will you feed the other sheep? Will you be part of the brotherhood? Are you going to love the other believers? Are you going to play your role in my big plan? And if you will, I can heal you. I can restore you. I wonder in your life right now, is there some failure from yourself or from others where you've responded by going back to fishing, going back to your old way of life? Maybe, is there some area of your life where you've got a wound and you've been looking to all the people around you to heal that wound? You think of these disciples, they were the most spiritual guys, they're the apostles, but without Jesus, they had no power to heal each other. Without Jesus, the best they could do is say, hey, let's go back to our old way of life. Even the most godly, most loving people in your life, they can't do for you what Jesus alone can do for you. You know, part of following Jesus is this reality that we all fail. Just like Peter, I fail, you will fail. Don't beat yourself up when you do. Part of following Jesus is failing, but then returning for restoration when you do fail. I want to encourage you today, as you follow Jesus, you're going to make a lot of mistakes, and that's okay. God is never going to stop loving you. He's never going to stop seeking you. 
he's never going to stop offering restoration to you. You could put it this way, when your own failure wounds you, right? Peter was living under a cloud of shame and regret from his own mistakes. When your own failure wounds you, well, keep following Jesus. Don't let your failure come between you and Jesus. He's bigger than your failure. He can wash your failure away. You know, there's another part of following Jesus. Not only do we fail and then we return to him, but part of following Jesus is that we are in relationship with other believers who also fail. Think of it, how Peter must have still been nursing these wounds of just, I can't believe Judas inflicted this pain on all of us and destroyed everything. Also, I want to now tilt our perspective and think of this same story from Jesus' perspective. That Jesus was completely let down by his closest friends. And from Jesus, who kept following the Father, we learn this, when people you trusted wound you, don't stop seeking God. When people you trusted let you down, don't think that God let you down. Don't confuse Christians or even churches with God. Churches are made up of imperfect people. Christians, we're all imperfect people. God's the only one who's perfect. And if you've been wounded by a church or by someone who claims to be a Christian, maybe God brought you into this moment today to remind you he's not those people. They're imperfect, but he is perfect. You know, one of the hardest things about following Jesus is that the other followers of Jesus are just as broken as we are. I experienced this early on in my years as a pastor. Now, we all experience this in our small groups and in our families, but, you know, when God first called me to be a pastor, I walked away from a, a career that I was really enjoying as a journalist. So there was some level of sacrifice in it. In fact, here's a picture of me and Mel. Uh, she's pregnant with Jack there, who's almost 11 now, uh, at Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. And here's one of the things that I didn't know about ministry when I left my journalism career and became a pastor. It's that when you knit your heart together with other followers of Jesus, they'll sometimes let you down. And I won't bore you with all the details, but I will tell you this. Two of the deepest wounds in my life happened when I said, God, I'm going to seek you with everything I have. In fact, as a journalist, I had some kind of crazy things happen. One time, there was a tow truck driver. I did this whole expose on him, and he got mad at me, and he called me, and he said, I'm going to hunt you down and kill you. And I had seen all his guns, right? That's kind of scary. One time, I did a story on a medical doctor who was a multimillionaire. He called me and said, hey, my attorneys are going to sue you. That's a little scary. I got to tell you, those wounds are nothing compared to the wounds that I experienced as a young pastor when I locked arms with other people and said, hey, let's make disciples for Jesus together. I'm all in with you. Here's my heart. And then they turned out to be imperfect and either abandoned or stole money or whatever else. And God has healed all those wounds, but it was one of the hardest things in my life. And I had to decide in that season, am I going to keep following Jesus even when other followers of Jesus have let me down, have wronged me, have hurt me so deeply? I had to decide in that season, am I going to see those people as bigger than God? Or am I going to choose to believe that God is still 
perfect. You might ask the question this way, how can you recover and move forward when you've been deeply hurt? How can you move forward when you've been betrayed or disillusioned by someone you trusted, maybe even in the church or maybe outside of the church? Maybe for you it was a business partner or a spouse or an adult child or someone else who you just say, I just poured out my heart in love and they more or less just stomped on it like a rug and then walked away as if I mean nothing. How do you move forward? Well, I wanna encourage you today, you move forward by continuing to look to God. And in Jesus, we see this modeled because Jesus was abandoned far more than you or I ever will be. I don't think any one of us are ever gonna be sold for the price of a slave to a mob that's gonna beat us up and kill us. And it's so interesting that in the middle of that betrayal, Jesus' closest friends all scattered. I mean, you talk about the emotions of being let down, of being betrayed, of being abandoned. Jesus knows those emotions. And I wanna very briefly walk you through some of those lowest moments, and then we'll look at how Jesus responded. In Mark 14 is this time where Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. And the passage, it's one of my favorite verses in Scripture because Jesus, who's perfect and cannot sin, says, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He stumbles and he falls down in prayer. He's sweating those drops of blood. And he says to his closest disciples, hey, will you guys pray for me? I'm going through the hardest thing in my life. And he prays for a while and he goes back and they fell asleep. They've all fallen asleep. Now, I don't know if any of you have a spouse who falls asleep while you're talking. That doesn't typically happen at our house, but I will tell you this. I'm very alert at night, and Mel's very alert in the morning. And so there have been sometimes where late at night I'm talking and I look over, oh, Mel fell asleep. But that never happens if I'm pouring my heart out about something deep. Could you imagine going through the hardest thing of your life and your closest friends fall asleep? Not one time, but three times. Look at Mark 14, verse 44. Returning the third time, Jesus says to them, are you still sleeping the third time? Now remember, Peter is going to deny Jesus three times. Jesus, when he restores him, is gonna ask three times, do you still love me? Three times, they all fall asleep. And it's immediately after his closest friends are sleeping during his darkest hour that Judas shows up. And just as Jesus is speaking, Judas shows up with this crowd and he sells Jesus out. And here's what you need to know today. In all those emotions of betrayal and of abandonment, you need to know this, that you are not alone. And I don't just say that in some, you know, like the celebrities on TV during a COVID commercial saying, you're not alone. And they say that, but they're not gonna come to your house, are they? But Jesus when he says you're not alone, he means I want to be with you. And Jesus says, when you feel abandoned, I've felt that. In fact, I felt it so that I could reach you. You need to know today in those deep emotions, those deep wounds, that Jesus knows the pain of broken trust. Jesus knows the pain of betrayal. He knows what you feel like where you've been abandoned. And by the way, Jesus never minimizes these emotions. I told you about some of the 
betrayal type pain that I've had in my adult life. And you know what? If I think back on those memories long enough, it's been years and years, but there's still wounds there. There's still scars there. It's not that Jesus automatically makes our pain go away, but it's this. Jesus shows us the model of how to make it out of that pain. Because left to ourselves, we can go down a road of anger or a road of resentment or a road of kind of self-medicating and get into some weird addiction. We can go down all sorts of other roads with that pain if we don't follow Jesus' example. What did Jesus do when he was abandoned by his closest friends, betrayed by one of his 12 closest? Well, it's summarized well in Luke 23, verse 46. When Jesus is suspended there on the cross, dying for the sins of the world, willingly laying down his life for us, and who does he call out to in that moment? Does he say, Peter, I can't believe you left me. Judas, how could you do this to me? Oh, Jesus was well aware of their failures, but he lifts his eyes up above those failures. And he cries out, Father, it's into your hands that I commit my spirit. Same thing if you study him in the Garden of Gethsemane when his closest friends fall asleep. He says, Father, not my will but yours be done. Jesus continually looked to the Father. That's where he found his stability, his hope, his life, and his light. Now, here's the challenge for us. We're not perfect like Jesus, are we? And we need other believers in our lives to show us, here's what God looks like, and here's how we follow God. And just like my daughter's copying me doing my single leg squats while watching my World War II documentary, we mimic the other believers in our lives for better, and then sometimes they lose their temper, or they let us down, or some flaw in their life comes out, and we think, oh man, is this person even worth following? And God reminds us today that every human model we follow will fail with the exception of one. There's only one perfect model, that's Jesus himself. Now I wanna give you an example of this, of what it is early in your Christian life when someone invites you to Jesus or maybe you start attending a church and it's just like, wow, God is there. God is in this person's life or in these midst and then something happens and you're like, whoa, I'm hurt. What's going on? Now to illustrate this, I want you to think of how bright the moon is when there's a full moon. Now I know this really well because our bedroom, we've got this one window that we don't have a shade on. There's a certain time of the month where the full moon shines like straight through there. And it'll wake me up in the middle of the night. I'll be laying there asleep and I'll wake up because the moon is shining through like bam, right onto my pillow. A full moon is incredibly bright. In fact, it's so bright that if you didn't really know your astronomy and how all the planets work, you would think that it is emitting light. And any other follower of Jesus who we follow, any good pastor, any church, any brother or sister in Christ, they're a lot like the moon. And if they're properly related to God, what's happening with the moon? The light is bouncing off the sun. And when someone in your life is properly related to God, it can be almost blindingly bright in a good way of like, wow, when I look at you, it seems like I'm looking at God. This is incredible. But then what happens is if you actually travel to the surface of the moon, here's what you'll find. It's not some big bright light. 
It's a giant, dark, cold rock. And the surface isn't made up of photons or any kind of light source. The surface is made up of dust, gray dust. So interesting that humans, Genesis tells us, we're made out of dust. And if you get to the moon and if you thought it was emitting light, you'd be pretty, pretty disheartened. The light of the moon doesn't come from the moon, but from the overwhelming brightness of the sun. And in your life, you'll meet other believers, maybe some in your past or your, your present, and you'll see how God uses them. And it's easy to think that they're the light, but then something happens, some break of trust or some hurt feelings, and you realize they're just a cold, lifeless rock. Now, here's the thing. We don't stop seeking the sun when we realize that the moon is a rock. Also, I've realized in my life, you can't really be positioned facing the sun and the moon at the same time. And there comes a time in your spiritual growth where you continue to love the other believers around you, but you start to realize it's the son of God himself who you need. The moon can't guide you out of darkness Follow the sun. Follow the sun. The light that you've experienced was indeed from God. But just like we're told in 2 Corinthians 4, it says, we are jars of clay, broken vessels, but there's this light shining out of us. The light is from God. The solution is never to focus on the person who wronged you. They're just a lifeless rock in some ways. The solution is always to focus directly on the light of the world. Well, I want to encourage you. I believe God brought you into this moment to say, never stop seeking God. Don't stop believing in the sun just because the moon turns out to be a rock. Don't stop orbiting the sun just because a person in your life failed you. You could put it this way, the person who hurt you in life, well, that's usually not the person who can heal you. The person who hurt you can't heal you, but God can always heal you. Now, here's where I want to encourage you. God does want you to be living with other believers. Other believers who are imperfect, but who are full of grace and patience, who will love you and forgive you, and who will always say, hey, let's get back to making Jesus the main thing. Now, here's what you need to know about Connection Point. We are a church of imperfect people, for imperfect people. Uh, so if you're watching this and you're a perfect person and you're looking for a perfect church, well, we're not the church for you, okay? Because we are a church uh, where every one of us is kind of a lifeless rock, but the light you see shining off of us is that we're oriented toward God. We're a church for imperfect people, made up of imperfect people. And as a result, you know what? We take God really, really seriously, but we don't take ourselves too seriously. Because we know that the power to change lives, it's not in us, it's in God. Now here's the thing, it is God's plan for you to be part of a Bible-believing church. Uh, even if you've been hurt in the past by other churches, it is God's will for you to be in fellowship with other believers who are orbiting around him. Now, if you spend your life looking for a perfect church, you'll end up just hopping from church to church because there is no perfect church. But find one where it's all about Jesus, where his word is taught, where the leaders are godly and accountable, people of character, and then invest yourself there. 
start to serve, start to give, start to pray and say, I'm going to be part of this movement. I want to encourage you as a church of imperfect people who don't take ourselves too seriously, we've got some really, really great teaching coming up. So I want to invite you to join us for our family conference this upcoming weekend. You can text the word on the screen to join us either online or in person. Uh, It's a conference for imperfect people, but I've got to tell you, this speaker is the best speaker on family that I've ever heard in the whole country. Mel and I, we were at a family camp when we first heard him, and we just kept elbowing each other because we were laughing so hard, we were connecting. God wants to help you in your marriage and in your parenting, so join us for that conference, and then that's going to kick off our next message series, which is called Your Most Important people. Today we learned that God wants to heal your relationship wounds by you turning to the Father. God wants to strengthen you as a spouse, as a parent, as an employee, or even as a sibling. God wants your relationships with your most important people to be as fruitful and fulfilling as possible. Well, speaking of those relationships, there's a verse in the book of Hebrews that really summarizes our application for today. You see, when we get hurt, it's easy for us to scatter. And when life is crazy, it's easy for us to be disconnected. But God commands everyone who believes in Jesus in the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, to not give up meeting together. Now, of course, if you're watching online and you can't physically be with us because of COVID or something else, we understand that. But God says you need to be in relationship with other believers, even if that's one of our online small groups. You need a place where you can encourage one another. And of course, when we get in those kind of relationships, sometimes our toes get stepped on. We have to show grace to each other. One of my good friends, he says this, Do you want to know if someone's growing spiritually? Well, then ask them, are they in relationship with other believers where they can practice these one another's? Forgive one another, be patient with one another, pray for one another, encourage one another. We are here as a church family to offer that to you. And I just want to encourage you. If you haven't declared, I have a church home, you need to make that commitment. You know, Melanie and I, in our marriage, We've had plenty of real throwdown fights where we think, oh, why'd we even do this? But you know what? We always work through those matters and then our relationship is always that much richer on the other side. I think we all understand that if you went through life and every time you had a disagreement with your spouse, you divorced them and walked away, well, you'd go through about 100 spouses and you'd never experience a real, real deep relationship. It's exactly the same with the body of Christ. You've got to find a Bible-believing, Jesus-centered church where you commit and you say, I'm going to give, I'm going to serve, I'm going to pray. I'm going to be part of what God's doing in the world today. In fact, that is the path through your wounds to healing. I mentioned some of my wounds from the past, and guess what? They don't hurt like they used to. Why? Because I've been so busy fulfilling the purpose God has for my life, and he has the same kind of purpose for you. When others wound you, stay faithful to the Father. That's what Jesus did. Father, not my will, but yours be done. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Stay faithful to the Father and fulfill your mission. Just like Jesus came to Peter and he said, Peter, Do you really love me? 
If so, I want to restore you. And Peter, if you really love me, then go feed my sheep. Because Peter, there's nothing I love more than my people. And so Peter, I'm leaving you on earth for a purpose. God has left you on earth for a purpose. He wants you to be part of a church family, yes, imperfect, but centered around Jesus, where you get to experience forgiveness and growth, and where together we get to make disciples and we get to make way for the kingdom of God, advancing across central Indiana, across the nation through our online viewers, and around the world through our 26 missionary partners. God wants you to be part of this. Well, let me pray for you right now. Father, you know the wounds in our lives. Lord, you know that some of these wounds, uh, we'll never see them resolved in this life. Uh, Peter never got to talk with Judas and say, Judas, why did you do that? And we've got some wounds, Lord, from fathers and others that in this life will never have that resolution. But Jesus, you show us the path forward. It's to keep trusting the Father. It's to keep living on mission. It's to be in fellowship with other believers, to feed your sheep, to offer our gifts and contribution to the church family. And so, Lord, I pray for every person listening to this. I know, God, that we've reached into the heart, and for some, these wounds, these relationship wounds are so deep. I pray, Lord, for those individuals that you would allow them to turn their eyes away from the lifeless, cold, dark rock of the moon and turn their eyes to the sun, the light of the world. Lord, we have wounds that only you can heal, so we bring them to you. We thank you that you call us friend. We thank you that you long to restore us. And we thank you that if we will follow the Father and join with a Bible-believing church to serve others, that you will heal us and fulfill us over the years. We love you, and we commit to be faithful to you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.